Okay, so hello and welcome to the Pediatric Anesthesia Journal's featured article of the month podcast for May 2021. My name is Dr. Sumit Das. I'm one of the journal education editors. And this month's featured article is entitled Implications of Anesthesia and Vaccinations. It's my distinct pleasure to welcome the corresponding author of this article, Dr. Connie Lynn who's a paediatric anesthesiologist at the Nemours Alfred I. DuPont Children's Hospital, and that's easy for me to say, in Wilmington, Delaware. And the first author of this article is Dr. Chaitanya Chale, Chala, sorry, who is also a paediatric anesthesiologist at the Children's National Hospital in Washington. Welcome both to this podcast. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for having us. You're both very welcome. So can I start by asking, um, so what prompted you and your colleagues to write this article? Sure. Sometime in early June of last year, we received some notifications from the state medical board that pediatric vaccination rates had dropped significantly. The intent of this letter was to get us to encourage parents to bring in their children for vaccinations despite the pandemic. The concern was that delaying vaccinations can cause an outbreak of other diseases, such as measles. So from our standpoint, as anesthesiologists, when we got the letter, we started to think about how we can help improve vaccination rates. The statistics are showing that around 6 million children under 18 receive general anesthesia each year, and more than 1 million are likely to receive general anesthesia around a vaccination age between 1 to 6. Traditionally, vaccinations have been given in the pediatric setting, and we think it's important to educate ourselves on the fundamentals of vaccinations and the implications with surgery and anesthesia. Okay, thank you. And can you briefly discuss uh, what you've seen, um, the effects of COVID-19, the impact of COVID-19 has been on the vaccination rates amongst children? Um, As we described in our paper, the COVID-19 pandemic has led to a global delay in routine healthcare and immunization rates, especially in the pediatric population. Um, Last May, the CDC actually published a morbidity and mortality weekly review um, on routine vaccine ordering and administration. In this article, they describe a significant and concerning decline in vaccine orders and administration of of vaccines in April 2020 compared to April 2019. During the pandemic, the peak of the pandemic in New York City, the Department of Health reported a 91% decline in vaccinations in patients older than two years old between March and May. Um, The Maryland Department of Health reported a 56% decrease in childhood immunization in the month of April 2020. Also, the American Academy of Pediatrics also announced that they are estimating a report delay in routine immunization by more than half of pediatric clinics. Um, um, As you can see from these statistics, um, COVID-19 has had a significant impact on childhood immunization. Thank you. Um, So um, just just for our benefit, really, for the benefit of the listeners, could you mind just briefly reminding us of the different modes of vaccination, and then we'll move on to discuss discuss how uh, how we can deal with the problem you've just outlined. So first, I think it's important to understand the immune response, specifically the difference between innate and adaptive immunity. 
Innate immunity is our body's first line of defense to protect itself against any invading organism. And that includes physical barriers, skin, mucus, cilia, fever, inflammation. The innate response includes activation of neutrophils and macrophages, and is pretty effective within a few hours of exposure, but it does not create any memory. On the other hand, adaptive, also known as humoral immunity, does develop memory and creates a reaction that generates antigen-specific antibodies. This response to, does take some time, but subsequently infections from that same pathogen will have a fast and effective response. So vaccines use the body's adaptive response to achieve its effect, either by live or inactive. And live vaccines use a weak form of the virus or bacteria that can replicate without causing illness. The whole idea is to simulate the natural infection, but without the severe side effects. They can produce long lasting and a strong response with either one or two doses. And examples of that are MMR, varicella, and polio. Inactive vaccines are killed microorganisms that can be from a fraction of the virus or bacteria, such as Tdap, Hep B, pneumococcal. Inactive vaccines cannot replicate and can require several doses to achieve adequate immunity. Okay. I mean, I'm not sure if we know the answer to this, but what, what would you surmise are the effects of anesthesia on the immune response in this background of vaccination? So um, anesthesia can affect the immune response in multiple ways, and that depends on the type of anesthetic that's used. Now, the effects of anesthetic agents um, all actually stem from in vivo and in vitro studies. Um, each anesthetic agent may affect um, the innate or humoral response, or both, actually. So volatile anesthetics have been shown to affect both the innate and humoral response by affecting neutrophilic actions and um, lymphocyte proliferation while other anesthetics such as propofol, midazolam, nitrous, ketamine, and fentanyl um, have been shown to affect the innate um, immune response by inhibiting activities and cell counts of macrophages, natural killer cells, neutrophils, and monocytes. The studies in um, pediatric populations suggest a transient trend towards mild neutropenia and lymphopenia following surgery and general anesthesia in children. However, most of these effects are cited by the literature to be minor and transient with only theoretical effects of anesthetics on vaccine effectiveness. As of now, there has been no studies evaluating anesthetic effects on the immunoglobulin production after vaccine, which I believe this is something that would provide a clearer picture on whether vaccine effectiveness may be impacted by anesthesia. Okay. Um here in the UK, the Association of Pediatric Anesthetists uh, recently published a guideline regarding the timing of vaccination with respect to anesthesia and surgery. And the main recommendations being that surgery should be delayed 48 hours post-vaccination with an inactivated vaccine, and that there's no reason to delay live attenuated vaccines. So after your extensive research of the literature, what, what's your finding on, on this? Um, so there is a lack of consensus regarding vaccination during the perioperative period um, with limited literature. Most articles I came across recommended a delay of at least 48 hours to a week after vaccination with inactivated vaccines, while um, live attenu attenuated vaccines, they recommended a delay of two to three weeks. 
This is likely due to potential side effects that may be associated with vaccination, ranging from mild symptoms such as pain at injection sites, swelling, erythema, fever, chills, and lethargy to more adverse reaction, which is really rare but may include anaphylaxis or shock. Most of these symptoms usually occur 24 to 48 hours post-vaccination as the body is adapting to the injection. Um, the concern is that the vaccine reactions may blur post-operative complications. Um, however, there is no concrete scientific evidence that vaccinations um, may affect surgical outcomes or vice versa. Um, many, many professional organizations, such as the American Academy of Pediatrics, the Center for Disease Control, have stated that there are no contraindications to vaccine administration near surgery or anesthesia. Okay, so given your opening statements about the impact of COVID on vaccination rates, should we be considering offering perioperative vaccination to children? And would you mind just... Uh, outlining the risks and benefits of that. So as the situation is constantly evolving, we need to adapt to the needs of the community. So at this point, there are pros and cons to vaccines in the periop world. Flu vaccines are currently being distributed in several hospitals, including ours at Children's National, during procedures that are non-invasive, such as lumbar puncture, bone marrow biopsies, MRI, or other imaging under anesthesia, GI procedures, as well as auditory testing. Patients and their families appreciate receiving vaccines and reducing the number of visits to the hospital, especially in this time. It delays care and reduces exposure to a high-risk environment. However, it does take effort to coordinate educating the family on post-op concerns in terms of the vaccine, as well as the importance of discerning anesthesia and surgery side effects. It's also important to incorporate documentation for future reference. As for the risks, Dr. Lin mentioned potential side effects with vaccine administration in conjunction with surgery and anesthesia. Okay, thank you. And would you go so far as to say, rather than being a, a general rule, do you think there are certain pediatric patient groups that could be considered for opportunistic vaccination uh, whilst they're having anesthesia? So um, healthy patients should be considered as well as patients with developmental delays, who may not tolerate awake vaccination, and maybe patients with needle phobia. Um, also patients undergoing procedures that Dr. Chala mentioned earlier as well. Um, it would be reasonable though to avoid opportunistic vaccination in patients with multiple comorbidities or those who are undergoing major surgery with increased risk of complications, such as major abdominal surgery, cardiac surgery, or neurosurgery. Now, the, I believe that the decision should be made made on a case-by-case -case basis and would depend on the patient, um, their medical history, the type of procedure that the patient is undergoing. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Challa and Dr. Lin. It's been an interesting and topical discussion. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat and we look forward to more contributions from you and your team. Thank you for having us. That wraps up our featured article of the month podcast for May 2021. This article will be available for free on the journal's website very soon. Follow us on Twitter on at PD Anesthesia and please join us for next month's featured article of the month. If you haven't already listened to our first podcast, please take a listen. Until then, cheers. <laughs>